So today on this episode, I was going to talk about singlehood. Um, I know it's kind of funny because I'm actually uh, married, but believe it or not, I was actually single once. Yes, I know. I didn't come out of the womb uh, having a ring on my finger. I simply had the same issues as any other girl in the sense of, hey, I may want to be married one day. But uh, I'll get into that a bit. So in my journey of singlehood, I guess, um, I obviously was, um, I guess it's not obvious, but I was very awkward as a little girl and very shy. Um, so dating wasn't even on the radar. Not that I was, um, opposed to it per se, but, um, I just was very nervous around guys and that was just the case. And I was very jumpy and, you know, surely there were factors, but, um, regardless, I am, was not very, um, comfortable around guys. So needless to say, dating one would be out of the question. Not that I wasn't interested. It just wasn't going to happen until I overcome that nervousness. So, um, as I matured, um, I had opportunities to, to date and i I really wasn't given much guidance. My mom just said, Hey, look, I, you, you want to live a pure life and follow God. I wasn't into that. I wasn't doing that at the time. I, I didn't, I don't know if she didn't know the Lord at the time or she just didn't, that wasn't where her heart was at the time. Um, she does, she did then when she was talking to me, obviously she raised me, um, as a Christian and to follow God, but she couldn't give me any instruction on what's that supposed to look like. And I didn't really have a strong youth group to kind of lean back on during those pretty pivotal middle school and high school years. So um, for the most part, I felt like I had to just navigate that on my own. And um, my older siblings um, did try that, you know, they were a good influence, um, but they were busy while I was in college as well. So some of it, I just kind of felt like I was fish out of water and just trying to breathe. So, um, as far as what I knew I wanted, I knew I wanted to be married, but I was not the type of little girl that that's all I thought of. You know, I did not dream about my wedding. I didn't even think about my wedding. I just knew that I wanted to be married and have kids, of course, but I didn't spend my time about it. I didn't fantasize about it. I actually fantasize, not fantasize, but I actually, in my little imaginary world, part of my imaginary world had to do with me owning a business. I know that sounds so weird for a little girl to have. Um, and I was designing clothes, um, with my bed sheets and I can't, I cannot sew a lick except for hand sew. Never learned to sew other than, you know, cross stitch a little bit and, Okay, so I have a little bit of experience, but not, um, one of my sons wants to actually learn how to sew, and I'm like, I'm not going to buy a sewing machine unless you have some talent, buddy, and the only way to get there is you have to learn to hand sew first, and, you know, long story short, I'm like, ultimately, I will not be the one teaching you, (laughs) because I have no skill in that area. Again, I'm talking about the singer machine and all that, I have no skill in that. Don't even know how to thread it, but, um, I digress. So 
anyway, um, I just knew I wanted to be married, but I didn't realize how hard that a passionate girl like me, um, and I didn't know I was that passionate. I'm okay. I didn't, I didn't. I knew I was very fiery around my siblings. I actually had a nickname. um, They called me Bull because I would charge at them when they provoked me. And some of them loved to tease me so much until I would charge. And that's why they called me Bull. And, um, but you would never know that about me because mostly you would see me as like a sweet little character, very shy and all that. But there was definitely a fire within me. Um, I see the same in one of my daughters because she's quiet. She has the sweet reputation, but there's a lot of spunk at home, right? I don't know if you have one of those or not, but anyway. um, So because there's that aspect of me, you can imagine me trying to stay pure and relationships, which with no instruction um, by hardly any instruction by any mentors, um, other than just, you know, don't, um, you know, don't do this obviously, but how does that actually transpire and how does that accomplish? Well, obviously one thing in particular someone told me was absolute privacy equals absolute intimacy. So for the most part, don't let your kids that are trying to date be absolutely alone with each other because that's probably not a good combo. Um, so that's just a tip. It's free. I'm not going to charge you for it, but you know, you, you should just help them with that. Easy tip. Um, because granted, I love the Lord and I loved the Word. I studied and still do study the Bible like it's bread because I find it to be very life giving. Um, it didn't. It it didn't. It didn't not say stuff about about, um, you know, shout about sex and about, you know, what should we do for our sister as she comes of age? I mean, obviously there was that where, you know, the sister that was more like a door, like I would open up to anyone. Um, well, we should, we should board her up and we should put wood around her because, uh, we can't really trust her not to be like, oh, Hey, you know, to guys. So you know, you need healthier boundaries with this sister. But um, because in that culture, um, and actually in my family, I charge my my boys with that same thing, that you need to be protective over your sisters and make sure that they are, um, you know, escorted and, and that no guys are around them or you need to be with them. I, it, I mean, it seems a little traditional. I get it. But... Um, it's also that I think it's okay to be protective over our girls because that's that's a lot of that's a lot of where um, sometimes naivety comes in with the boys versus the girls. And I will say, raising girls and boys because I have two boys and I have two girls, I can say that boys are more aware of they're they're just more aware of of the realities of sex, okay? Just because of their own body, for good, for goodness sakes. I'm not saying some girls aren't aware. It's not that. It's just in general, especially in, in the culture of the church, in general, whether they like it or not, guys are just, boys are just going to be what much more aware 
um, of their dangling modifier, right? Um, it's it's kind of right in front of them. They pee with it. There's not really any way they can get away with not understanding some concepts of it. And um, with girls, it is more mysterious to them, and it is more. Uh, it has a tendency to be less like I have to even know about this right now. It's completely doesn't. It's not. It's not relevant to me right now. You know. And so there is a possibility, not saying again, cross the board, but there is a possibility that girls could be very well, much more naive um, when it comes to certain things, Um, you know, just advances or what to look for, or um, just in in my case was very naive. And I, I had no idea how prevalent that um I really just needed to be more cautious I guess in who I dated and how I proceeded to be around those dates and um you know it it was not something that was easy to navigate I did manage to um you know make better choices along the lines but um I would never want to sit there and have my daughter just be kind of thrown out there and just say, okay, we'll just figure it out. Uh, just do better than me. You know, that's all my mom kind of gave me. Um, I, I love her, but she just was like, Hey, this isn't my strong suit. I, I didn't, I don't know what to tell you. So I was, um, trying to look at, you know, relationships that I trusted and knew and just kind of use them as like a guiding force or, or like a model of what I wanted versus what I didn't want. And, um, you know, and by no means did I mean for this topic to, to just be like a dating one-on-one, but, um, I, I was single for most of my early life. Okay. I only had one boyfriend in high school, which, which some people have never dated in high school, which is awesome. But, um, that only lasted for like maybe six months. And then I had the same, I would could probably say maybe one, I, I guess the way to say it, who cares, right? Who cares all the details? Um, the, the thing is very little experience and even the experience I had was not, it taught me what not to do, okay, or who not to date, and um, I knew that, that yes, I needed, my first mistake was I dated somebody that did not agree with me as far as he didn't know the Lord, and um, and that's kind of huge, <laughs> it's kind of a huge thing not to have in common with someone, um, and so that was kind of like, eh, there's too many um, missing pieces here, and so then I realized, um, some other things that I needed in my life. And it doesn't, doesn't mean that just because they're a nice guy and just because they are a believer that they're a good match for me. Um, and I, I started to realize that, that, um, just, and then just because they might be a good match, I then needed to trust the Lord to choose for me because I was making poor choices. Um, not that those people in particular were poor choices, but that they just were not the right choice for me. Um, all that to say, singlehood was not easy. I really tried to go the route of being patient, but I was just the impatient sort. 
Again, with the passions, I do want to address this. Okay, some girls do not struggle with this. Some girls are just very um, patient and waiting. Um, They are naturally looking to their parents to guide them. Um, And I have to be fair, though, some, some girls just don't, you know, have 100% the guidance and probably not even as present as my parents were with me. Like if I wanted to ask something, they would have told, they told me anything that I asked. I mean, answered any question that I had. That's, that's the cool thing because I had older parents. So I was the youngest of six. So I literally had access to whatever information I wanted. They were willing to share open book for the most part. And, uh, but they weren't, um, I guess they weren't, I, it was the, my personality that was different and I was more artsy and I was more passionate and I was more emotional and it made it even harder to have healthy boundaries when it came because I, and I started to realize, okay, early, early on that. I could not even kiss anybody I didn't intend to marry. I just had to stop even with that. And I know that's extreme for some people. But believe me, I made some mistakes before I realized that. But, um, and some people, they never even had to make the mistakes. They just, you know, whatever. Kiss the person at the altar for the first time. I mean, I, I don't know how they did it. Because me and my husband both, my husband and I both are very passionate people. And, and you wouldn't know it for, about him either because he's very stoic on the outside. I mean, he can be super friendly sometimes, but for the most part, he's just like, looks at you like a little hawk and kind of tries to see what you're about. It's so funny. But um, anyway, so I think it's important to know, I can't remember who said it recently, but it was something about where you find your passions oh it was a friend of mine where you find your passions going out of feeling out of control that's where you need healthy boundaries so boundaries are there to protect us it's not there to limit us or restrain us and again some women do not need this in fact I'm still quoting I believe it's um, Ecclesiastes it's the last chapter of Ecclesiastes where it says, we have a sister, and, and what do we do when she comes of age? It literally says when she has her breasts. But, you know, <laughs> well, basically, you know, try, I was trying to be uh, a little bit um, discreet about it. But, of course, I wasn't. Um, so, what do we do when she comes of age? And it's um, the the one girl that is one sister that they describe, well, if she's like this, if she's like a door, then we need to put borders of cedar and protect her. Um, cause obviously you don't want something to happen to her, right? You don't want her to be naive and get into trouble and realize that, oh, that's not the attention I really needed to get because, um, this isn't going to lead to me finding, um, a suitable match. I might get my heart stomped on is really what might happen. And, and, um, and that's the long and short of it. And and honestly, if you if you're listening and you're you're not a believer, I just want you to understand that purity is something that 
for us, we believe that it's, it's not, we believe it's a gift and believe it's not something that we take lightly and, um, any mistakes that we make or whatever, because we're all human, all of a sudden and come short of the glory of God. It's not about, oh my gosh, we made a mistake. It's more about, okay, healing. This wasn't God's best plan for me. Um, but you know, let's, let's walk in, in trying to, you know, receive forgiveness for us. It's, it's not something that we view as something that we should have done. And so it opened up basically a can of worms and, um, and you just need healing from it. Um, because a lot of, a lot of hurts came through opening that door too early. So, um, really I just feel strongly that the other women that are better at it, I'm not saying I was, but some women are much better at this. (laughs) And she's, this is the kind of sister that they describe later. We have a sister who is a, who is a wall. What shall we do with her? Right. In other words, she's not, she's not catching every guy's eye. She's not trying. I mean, she's not trying to, she's not like, Hey, you know, kind of, kind of thing or naive or open to whoever. Um, she's more particular and, and more realizes that this process of finding a suitable mate, you know, takes wisdom and takes self-control and takes patience. Um, and it says, well, we will adorn her. We'll put, um, I guess, a wreath around her or something, wreath on her or whatever. It's, I mean, symbol of a door, but whatever. Um, and it, but a wall. It's because we don't have to protect her. She's kind of protecting herself. She's making good choices. So we don't have to do all this protective kind of thing. Um, and in my case, my brother, one of my brothers was super overprotective and pretty much told everybody at my school, um, threatened them somehow that they couldn't even talk to me. <laughs> it was like, later I was like, oh my gosh, that was a bit extreme, but I didn't know that. So I pretty much developed a complex of like, something's wrong with me. No one talks to me. Um, so I would not recommend that, but, uh, but yeah. So all that to say, singlehood was, was a big hot mess for me, um, before I got married. It was, um, it was just no boundaries. I just had no healthy boundaries, but yet I had the Holy Spirit. Okay. So like, think of that. I had no idea what I was doing. I was doing my best to try to make good decisions, to try to stay pure, but I was flubbing my way through it, breaking hearts here, getting hurt there. I mean, I just was not kind. I was immature. I was, um, unwise. I mean, there were so many things to describe what, what I was not, what I should have been doing, what I should not have been doing. So I was definitely not the, the, textbook case at all but um but what I did find is that the Holy Spirit was with me the whole time when I say the whole time I do mean even when I was making mistakes he was there the whole time and that may seem creepy to you and it may even feel weird okay but to me it felt loving like he loved me even when I was deliberately defying him. Um, 
and forgave me even when I did it knowingly, did some things that were not right knowingly. Um, but I don't feel, I mean, of course I feel regret for dumb mistakes I made. Of course, can't we all say we, we, we weren't perfect and did things we regret, but I feel like that the boundaries that I was allowed, that I did put up for myself as clumsy as I was through it all, as I flubbed through it all, I, um, I can honestly say the Holy Spirit helped me tremendously. Like his presence was very strong. And, and, and some of my friends will tell you how in the world were you that tempted by so-and-so? And yet you just ran. It was like Joseph, like so tempted, but in the, in the midst of it, I just bolted in the middle of a camping ground or whatever. Um, I mean, Joseph Grant was trying to, was going to be trapped by Potiphar's wife. That's a whole different story. But for me, it was trapped by my own desires. Right. But I just, I just ran on out of there. And unfortunately, you know, I looked at guys before I got married as if they were the, they were the, the wrong ones, I guess. And now that I have sons, I know that that's not true. I mean, I'm not saying all guys are good, but all girls aren't either. Okay, so let's be real. We're all sinful. But I literally um, did not understand, truly understand um, what it was to be a guy. And I still am not a guy. I don't understand a guy. But I do understand more now that I'm married and now that I have boys that I'm raising. I do understand more of what it is for what their part in it is. And it's first they have to learn to control themselves. And then it's another layer that they have to protect the the girl that they might be with and that they might be attracted to. So um, that's important to teach your, your sons for sure. And if your daughter can stay strong too. And staying strong in, with wisdom, I mean... And, and with staying under the protection and guidance of those that trust that they can, she can trust. Um, so that's how to navigate, I guess, singlehood as a, a young girl. But, um, as you get older, um, you start to get, become more independent. And, um, I got married after college, but I had already had some experiences of my own jobs and, my own apartment and stuff. So I did have a level of meager independence outside of a relationship. So it's not like I was so dependent on my husband that I felt like I could never do anything. I mean, I took over the books within a month of us being married because I was like, um, I think I'm the stronger one. So yeah. Um, he is totally capable in any other situation, but when it came to our household, I realized that I was the one who was probably the better fit for that. Um, so anyway, getting onto singlehood and other layers, that's what I want to talk about this time. Um, cause, and, and again, I could to- talk a whole nother season, whole nother episode really about, um, 
how it feels to struggle in singlehood as an adult. But uh, again, I'm not, I'm not there right now, but I have witnessed it with um, a lot of friends and I could speak to that probably enough and what it feels like, how they've shared and et cetera. But, um, so I know that that's not easy. Um, on into thirties and forties, et cetera, and still being single. And some of my friends, fifties, sixties as well. So it's not the, it's lone, it's lone. First one, one thing that you need to understand that most single people struggle with the most if you're going to pray for someone that's single. And if you are single, I'm telling you, I know probably other than the passional thing, if that's an issue, is loneliness, like need for companionship. And um, you can, I mean, you can actually have companionship with the, with your friends and everything, but um, it's not, it's not the same type of companionship and, and, um, I can honestly say, and this might weird. Okay. This is definitely going to weird people out, but whatever. Um, there's a verse in Isaiah, I think that says your maker is your husband. And that's pretty weird, I guess. But, um, God is very, I guess something to understand about God is God is male and female are both made in his image, which means that God, he, he calls himself God, the father. So he does accept that authority. (laughs) Don't call him a girl. Okay. But he does have attributes of both male and female. Um, I'm not saying we're going to go up there and he's going to have breasts, but there is a, a nourishing that does come with God. El Shaddai, I think is what it's called. I may be wrong, but if I have that right, it, there's one where it's like literally one of the names of God is God, the breasty one, <laughs> because he nourishes us. And, I, and if you, if you really think I'm wrong, look it up. Um, and it's used in scripture as well. But, uh, but also, even Jesus looked on Jerusalem and wept and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if, if I, um, you know, I would have, if you would have asked, I would have loved to curl you up like a, like a mommy hen, um, but you wouldn't accept me. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, he's understanding the, the, the motherly instinct of wanting to nurture and wanting to gather her little chicks up and, um, and says so blatantly. Um, and I, I really wouldn't take that way too far because again, Jesus came as a man and it refers to God as God, the father. So you can't take out of context what isn't there. Um, but you can take what is there. And, um, it's true that God, it, without humans, are a reflection of God, male and female. And in the image, they're saying we're both made in his image. It's not that, I don't know if you think this, but I'm just making sure you don't. It's not that the male was, was in God's image and we are like a weaker vessel of that or something. I don't know. 
what people might believe, but male and female, both of us are a different reflection of who God is. Um, and we are different and guys and girls are different. You just have to understand that. So anyway, so what isn't different is that lone and that passion piece. If you do struggle with that or, um, and if you're single and that's just, just hard, I mean, it's just hard. So, um, hang in there if that's something you're struggling with. And then two loneliness, loneliness is huge. Um, and something that we all struggle with. And then I would say, honestly, um, I think purpose is a big deal because too many people wrap up purpose with, oh, married and a family. And you know, look around you, not everybody has that same calling. Obviously. Because um, it's not like we all turn 20 something and we get married. Because it's not it's not like that. People, everybody's journey is different. And here's what I want to speak to on the tail end is that even if you are married, um, and you know, there are some that I will say, some people have experienced divorce, whether they didn't anticipate it, whether they initiated it or whether it was thrust upon them. Okay. Just, it will just kind of go all the way across the board. Who, whatever the case, whatever the scenario is, somehow unexpected to you or you initiating or whatever, um, there still looms and is the issue of, okay, I'm divorced now. I am single again, quote unquote, because of that. This is not, that wasn't planned. I mean, you didn't, you didn't sit there and plan, um, hey, I'm going to get married and you know what I'm going to do? I am going to last five years and I am going to call it quits. Uh, that is exactly what I'm going to do. I do until five years or I do until 10. Okay. So that was not your plan and plans like promises break because we're human. It's not good to put your trust in man because we can fail each other. Right. But it, we still covenant with each other. Um, one, because we feel compelled to, right? Um, but also because it's a reflection of Christ in the church. It's a reflection of who Christ is and how he loves his church as a bride. And literally, it's pretty, pretty amazing to think about that we're, some of us, called into a, the closest relationship on earth that you could even have is that marriage relationship hands down because, and I'm not telling you a one night stand can have that. Not that they don't share an emotional bond with anyone you have relations with you do. So, um, but what I am saying is when it comes with that covenant as well, um, that covenant before God, all of a sudden you are, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you're actually in a covenant that God applied to himself. He literally said, you, the church, are my bride, okay? And I am your groom kind of thing. Okay, so so this marriage thing is not something that originated with us. It's uh, It's something that we all enter into, and believe it or not, in other cultures, they, they have blood covenants in the same concept as 
many of these things. Blood covenant referring to the covering of sins or a treaty or marriage. Um, I mean, some people that are way smarter than me can speak to this much better. But I was reading somewhere that almost every culture, if not all, have some sort of idea of a blood oath, blood covenant. Um, you have to cut blood in order to for there to be trust or in order for there for us to do business, um, something like that. So any contract that we have on on earth, you for the most part can get out of um, with legal fees and you know you might be bankrupt at the end of it. But the, the covenant of marriage is the only one that says, until death do us part. And that's a huge thing. And yeah, legally, the, the letter of the law, you can break that covenant. But spiritually, that was never meant to be broken. And so what happens is you're basically untangling yourself and you have to heal from it. It's like a tree that has grown into one and when you separate that, you actually have to heal from that. So that's why people go through what's called um, divorce care. You're like, I just got a divorce. What are you talking about? But you literally are healing from the wound of divorce. Even if you initiated it, even if you needed it, even if you, you, you have no plans to ever go back that way. And it's not even healthy maybe in some cases, but... It's still the concept of divorce. It still happened. You still covenanted with that person. It still hurts. So anyway, um, I don't know why I know all this. It's just over time and observation and reading books and blah, blah, blah. So so forgive me if I come across some sort of scholar. I don't mean to come across that at all. Um, like I said, there's plenty of people that talk about this and write about this that know a lot more than I do. But um, one thing I will also talk on and this is what I'm so excited about getting to is the widow and um the reason why this means so much to me um I can't really explain it actually but um but one woman in scripture um really I'm drawn to I feel drawn to her name is Anna and um I she's she's the it was she was called a prophetess and she was waiting for Jesus's arrival. And um, I think I got this right. Okay, so <laughs> correct me if I got the details wrong, for sure. But um, in the gospel account, can't remember if it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You go check it out for me. But in one of the accounts, um, Anna comes up and prophesies over Jesus being the, the son of God. And this is only confirms what Mary and Joseph already know. Um, but he, I think he came in there for his, um, I think it was his, uh, uh circumcision, obviously. Cause if he was going to be a good Jewish boy, he was obviously going to be, have to be circumcised, I think on the 10th day. So it would probably have been day 10 for him. Um, and I think, and the, you know what? I don't, yeah, I think she, I think they were a baby somehow. Anyway, I forget how it all connects timeline. History was never my strength, but um but the the long and the short of it, Anna um Anna really 
I guess, spoke to me because, you know, my middle name is Anne. Anne, Anne means grace. I assume Anna means grace. Um, uh, or Anna. Did I say Anna? <laughs> it's probably because my daughter's name is Annika. But anyway. So Anna, um, she comes to Jesus, prophesies. Pretty, pretty cool moment. Um, and she is... Um, um, I don't have my Bible open if you wonder why I'm I'm so scrambling. But um, she is, and it's late because I happen to do a podcast at night for some reason. Because everybody's asleep. I don't want to wake anybody up. And you'll see why that's important to uh, the poem I'm going to read in, in a minute. But um, so anyway, the the thing that struck me the most is that she was married and became a widow. But she was a widow for Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 40 years, maybe even longer. Um, she was 80 at the time and she was a widow for more than she was married. I mean, like way, way more. And she ministered at the temple for that long. I think it was 40 years. I'm just going to go with that. Please check me. (laughs) But, um, but anyway, that it, it the number was enough for me to just hold myself back. I said, "Man, this girl, this lady, did not. She could have, because she was um, a widow, young, but she did not remarry, and instead she decided to minister to the Lord instead for the rest of her life. I don't know if she had kids, possibly not, because otherwise she probably would have been tasked with." marrying again and having to, um, provide for them, um, blessed little things. Um, but in this situation, she was free to minister to the Lord at the temple instead. So she, um, so she was single again and single in the sense that, um, she did not curl up in a little ball and she did not just do nothing with her life. She decided to serve and it's amazing when widows do that and when they give the little that they have and and honestly it speaks so many times Jesus speaks so many times and even in the old testament but Jesus talks about the widows and the orphans and I think that is so and even King David talks about this but in Psalms but um it talks about the widows and the orphans and that uh that's part of what um, real religion looks like. So not be polluted in the, with the world, but also to take care of the widows and the orphans. And I think the cool thing is, is because they, um, for the most part, and it's true today, um, they don't have anybody usually, unless their family's taking care of them, they usually don't have anybody, widows, to cover them. They're usually on their own. Um, they're usually scrimping by unless for some reason they were given a wonderful, you know, inheritance or whatever life insurance policy or whatever you want to call it back then. Um, but usually, no, usually they were dependent on generous people and, and look around this day and age. That's the same thing. Orphans do not have parents. And unless they have family that can take them in, they are de- dependent on p- 
people's generosity. They are dependent on a system that oftentimes fails them. And widows are are definitely single, but they're single in a different way. They're single not in the hopes of, usually not in the hopes of ever changing that status, if especially if they're older. That uh, they will be single for a lot for the rest of their life. And a lot of times that means they might be lonely for the rest of their lives if they don't have community. So if you see a widow in need, um, you need to give to her, and you need to. Um, see what she, what, you know, not all widows are in need. I mean, seriously, not all of them. Some of them are set up. They're, they're either their husband set them up or their family's taking care of them or whatever. But some widows are not that luxurious and they're not able to say that. So just keep that in mind that single does not look one way. It's, it could be more than just you know, I'm going to get married, but I'm single and just waiting for that. Because you don't know, married person even, you don't know if something goes awry. You don't know if, you know, life throws you a curve. And I, I mean, God forbid, right? I mean, nobody wants to wish that on anyone if they're married. I mean, that's a hard blow. Um, to have to be single again in that situation, whether it comes through divorce or whether it comes through tragedy. And, um, but especially with like all the things that have been happening lately, um, unexpected things have been happening lately. Unexpected losses have been happening lately, especially of like, um, significant others. So, I just wanted to share share that um, all, there's a lot of layers of singlehood and if you find yourself single I'll speak to the single person right now. If you find yourself single um, of course you know that you're worthy of God, in God but I want you to also know that like Anna you're more than worthy and you have the sometimes you could have the most significant role because you are again single and if you don't have children to tend to, or if they're older and they're taking care of themselves, then you have the possibility of having 100% focus on the Lord. Because you don't have the, I guess the, uh, you may not have the possibility of even getting married again. And so there's not the wishing for that or waiting for that. That day has sailed, right? Some some people, not everybody, of course, I promise you. I know your young singles are like, what? Or young divorced are like, what? You know, but some of you, like, you're older and you you may not want to get married again. And that is okay. But you have to understand then that you have a wonderful opportunity to minister to the Lord or to seek whatever his will is for this season of your life. Your life is not over. Okay? Hear that. And and young single that's never been married. You know, I don't know what your calling is, but I can tell you this. God is certainly more trustworthy than culture. And so I would seek him first. And, and he will align your heart 
to his greatest path for you. And you just have to do what he is directing. I mean, if you don't trust him yet, and you don't know he's trustworthy, I promise you, that is something to seek. Say, God, you know what? I don't, I may know you're real, but I don't know if I can trust you. Can you show me, show me that I can, not just trust you to help me make decisions or lead me in my decisions, but help me to trust you with my heart, with my passions, with my loneliness, with my direction in life. And he will. So, Insomnia, the sleeping giant. I am trying to sneak past those who were here before. They used to live here, but are here no more. I want to call out, but I refrain. I just whisper a name and wait for a sound to echo. My heart's longing, but it doesn't come like a boomerang ringing back to me and into my arms. No amount of charms can bring him back. A widow I'm to be, feeling a bit empty. A lonely train of years full of sorrow and unkempt tears. A train to nowhere, or so some say. But I kneel down instead to pray, not to my lost love, the ache is strong, but to my Savior, who holds me close. He knows my needs, even when I can see I know nothing anymore. He heals my sore, poor heart, a salve of tears. It only takes a drop to calm my lonely, to wake my wonder, to hold on tight to going under. I'm not afraid now to face the day, to face the night, the lonely life of a past life where he was my man and I his wife. I roll it under my cloak of mourning. A smile appears, the gladness rolling.